Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we're going to talk about dinghies, and we've brought in one of our sponsors who is, of course, a dinghy expert, and that is Dustin Kidd from Bourbon City Yacht Tenders. Dustin will join us in just a second, but first, as I always do, I want to take just a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, Dustin Kidd with Bourbon City Yacht Tenders, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and I should say that you're not just a sponsor. You're also a gold looper in your own right. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit about your own great loop. Sure, yeah. <clears throat> Obviously, I didn't have Bourbon City Yacht Tenders before, so this, uh, and we'll kind of go into that. But my my loop started in 2017, 2018. Uh, kind of started off on just a whim. I'm not the, the typical looper that's retired, a little younger. And uh, I decided to quit my job throw caution to the wind and just get out there and do it. So that's, uh, that's kind of my story. And when I came back, that's when I kind of started Bourbon City Yacht Tenders. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, kind of your own experiences on the loop with your tender um, that got you interested in this facet of boating, but, you know, kind of tell us a little bit, what decide, what made you decide to come back? And as you said, you're a little younger, we're still working. Why Bourbon City Yacht <laughs> So, yeah, so I was in corporate America for many years and decided to leave that. I, you know, I wanted to do the loop, but I didn't know what life looked like when I came back from the loop. So I didn't know if I wanted to go back down that road or more get in to do something on my own. And it just so happened that I was looking for a new tender. And this is something that I tell people is, you know, when you're using your tender day in, day out on the, on the loop, you know, you kind of want some different comforts or creature comforts or different uh, amenities and I guess when I talk to other loopers it, you know and when I talk to them about their tenders and their th their needs it's the same scenario where it's like oh I found the perfect loop boat but then oh it has a tender on it it came with it and it's not until they set out and really get to use that tender, you know, is it functional? Is it, uh, you know, does it even work? Uh, that they realize, okay, oh, I need a good tender. So that's kind of my talking point on that aspect of it. And that was my part. When I got back, I was like, okay, there are a few things that I wanted on a new tender. And I happened to be mentioning to a friend of mine, I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know much about tenders at the time. And he was at the Chicago Boat Show of all places and saw a high field, which were a high field dealer uh, and said, I think this is what you're describing, all the different things that you're wanting. So uh, I called the dealer, said I bought it sight unseen, like here's my credit card. And this was about January time, so it wasn't in season, but I went and got it that weekend, brought it back to Louisville. And when the season hit, people went crazy over it. It's like, oh, wow, you know, that's a good looking tender. It was very unique, had a lot of the things that other people wanted, not only what I wanted. And so uh, my business partner, I, we kind of joke, we were on the back of his boat having a bourbon. So hence the, the Bourbon City uh, tender. Mm -hmm. And we said, I wonder what it takes to be a dealer. And sure enough, that Highfield was actually looking to put a dealer in the Midwest 
we explained my scenario with the, the loop, what I've done, and they granted us the dealership. And that's how I became back into, uh, to, back into you know, giving back to the AGLCA, being continuing on because I'm not retired. Uh, this is kind of gives me my feel of becoming still staying with the loop. Yeah, well, and we certainly appreciate as a gold looper that you're staying involved, but also your sponsorship. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, so you've talked a little bit about why selecting the right dinghy is important on your loop. Um, anything to add to that, though, of, of um, you know, why yeah. people will be happier if they have a dinghy that really meets their needs? <laughs> and here's what I tell people. Most tenders, they do the job. And the tender that I had that came with my loop boat or my boat that I had, it was it was functional. It did the job, you know, uh, especially if you have a pet. We had a dog, so we had to take it to shore, you know, minimum three, four times a day. Uh, we did like to explore a lot. So we were always trying to go to different marinas, trying to go to different restaurants, trying to find the little nooks and crannies, especially like up in Canada that have like only accessible from small craft. So we utilized it and it was functional and it worked. Um, but when I got back, knowing what I know now is I wanted a, in, to kind of describe the tender that I had was a, uh, just a fiberglass West Marine 10 foot tender and it had a, a tiller mounted motor on it and it, it worked but I wanted a steering wheel I'm like okay I, I need if I'm going to be cruising for that long time I want a, a steering wheel uh, the other thing that I wanted it was and I didn't know what it was at the time was a dry ride uh, Highfield's got this dry ride where it's got a bigger dead rise in the water that cuts through the water deflects the water so you're not getting that constant water over the bow and then along with that is when water does go in the bow, uh, the tender that we had was a single floor. I wanted a double floor and that way if water did come in, we weren't standing in it. And it was just those combination of uh, features that led me to high field and kind of, and I guide people towards, you know, obviously different people have different budgets, different restrictions, but I always say like the, the if I were to go do it again, I would want a high field with a uh, classic 310 um, with a steering wheel um, and those kind of features because it would have been a little bit better. Uh, it, it just would have been a little bit better experience for me. So, yeah. Well, and as you just said, everybody's got different budgets. A lot of people have different needs. Um, you know, with your unique experience of having been there, done that, um, what types of things do you recommend that loopers consider? when they're deciding what's the right dinghy for their particular needs? So obviously the limitations um, along with davits. So check with your manufacturer of your davit to make sure you have, you're underneath the limits of weight. Um, that's one of the big key things. Um, I've talked a lot of people out of getting bigger tenders. Um, they're like, oh, my boat beam is X wide. I want the biggest tender I can. Well, you don't really need that, you know, something, maybe something smaller. So I always ask, what is your scenario? Is it you and your spouse or is it just you or do you have a family of four? And that kind of helps me guide them to what uh, what the different size type and things like that that they would need. Um, so definitely, you know, look at the size, obviously the data compatibility. And then there's a lot of things like comfort. Um, I was kind of mentioning that was my big key thing is, you know, uh, having a, like double flooring, so you're not standing in water, and a dry ride, and then a steering wheel. But that looks different than uh, other people have different what it looks like on their loops. So uh, uh, just kind of 
figure it out. So you may need a, if you're a family of four, you may need something with a little bit more space and a little bit more horsepower. So it just kind of all depends. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of times now, um, Justin, the double floor, is that the right term? Yeah. It's, so yeah. explain that because those of us who are not as familiar with tenders might not know how that, what that means in terms of sure. how that keeps it dry. Okay. So, and it's a good point too. So the, the single floor is just, you know, it's a single floor. Uh, like the one that I had was a deep V. So it was, uh, uh, it, A, it was hard for the dog to walk on because it's that awkward, slick V shape. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but with, uh, and many different brands have them, but uh, a double floor is literally, so it has a, like, uh, a floor on it where water actually will go down through it and go to the bilge pump and be yeah. bilge, uh, pumped out. So you're not having to stand in that one, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. So a lot more like our bigger cruising boats yeah, are exactly. where you're not standing in the build. Yeah. <laughs> um, gives you that comfort on, on the tender. So that makes total sense. Um, and of course, there are lots of different types of tenders. So let's go through a few of them um, and, you know, maybe tell us who they're best for. So one of those would be Absolutely. ribs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, tell oh, us yeah, a little bit about what a rib is and, and who they're best so for. Rigid inflatable boats. So it's a rigid bottom, you know, surrounded by a fabric. And there's two different majority majority of the time there's two different fabrics that of the tunes uh hypalon versus pvc and i'll go in that for a second but you know the different types you have everything from what i call a boat in a bag which is literally a boat that deflates the flooring deflates the tubes deflates and it goes into a bag which is you know considerably small easy to maneuver a lot of sailboaters have that um, a lot of people use that as more of a like an emergency kind of tender where they're just using it occasionally because uh, there is a little bit of a time process to you know take it out of the bag inflate it and get it ready whereas a rigid hull uh, which is a solid bottom um, you have two different really two different types of material which is fiberglass or uh, aluminum uh, and with those two you have that way you know with the rigid bottoms you can increase the horsepower on those uh, so you have the kind of boat in the bag, the roll-ups, then you have the middle of the line, kind of, we, we Highfield will call it a classic model. Um, and then you go up to a little bit bigger, but sort of the sport models and for class, uh, for the high field. And those you can have, have the bigger horsepower, the more electronics, things like that. So um, who would you recommend those for specifically? You know, it's, are... it's interesting to see, because I've, you know, I have people that, like I, they only want something just for an occasion. So like, hey, I just want to have something for an emergency. So they'll, you know, buy something very inexpensive, put it on their boat. Um, and then you have somebody that's like, hey, I'm going to get out and explore. I want to have a little bit more comfort. So they go into uh, the more of that classic style with the, like the, the steering uh, helm mm -hmm. on it. Uh, and then you have the, somebody that's like, hey, I want the sport model. It's the top of the line. It, you know, we, we're, we're dressing these up with underwater lights, interior lights, stereos, navigation, garments, everything. So uh, just depends on the budget and your limitations. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about, you know, the, the kind of fold up ones that are pretty much uh, for somebody who's not going to use it a lot. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about ribs. There's also rigid or hard dinghies yes. that are not inflatable um, at, at any point of them. So what's kind of the, the different use case for that versus a rib? You know, I don't have any personal experience with it. I've talked to a lot of people that really like it. Um, I'm trying to think of the manufacturer that actually has it. It's um, 
it's they're actually a cooler manufacturer that went into dinghies so it's kind of that plastic harder and it's nice so you don't have to worry about uh, any kind of punctures uh, they say it's very stable when you walk around on it. Um, so there's a lot of pros and cons with like an e-boat, there's pros and cons to both. Uh, but that is an, actually a good option that I've heard a lot of good things about. Any idea how the weight of that might compare to? Arrival? I would eventually believe it's probably on the higher side than mm -hmm. a typical tender because you do have that little, you know, the more of the structure aspect of it. Um, but you know, most tenders are not that heavy in the first part, but uh, it's, you know, I think it's something that you consider. So always consult with the manufacturer and kind of see that it fits under your limitations. Yeah. You also talked a little bit about this, you know, the size requirements being different depending on whether you're solo, whether you're a couple, family. Mm -hmm. Although we are seeing more and more families and more and more solo loopers, yeah. the majority still are couples. And since that's kind of the midpoint, <laughs> you know, compared to a solo or a family of four, you know, just as an example, what does the typical looper couple need in terms of size and maybe horsepower for their tenor? What I've been putting most people in, if they want the kind of the same experience that I, you know, talking about where they want to get out and explore, uh, there's a lot of times where you'll be buddy boating and they're at a marina that's five miles away and everybody wants to get together for docktails. You want to get something that's comfortable. For us, the classic 310, which is 10 foot, that's a 10 foot, two inch boat. We pair that with a 20 horsepower motor. And then of course that has the console with it. That's kind of our looper special. That's where I kind of start people. And like, if you have the budget and the limitations for it, then I would highly go with that. Cause I think you're going to be pleased because you're going to be out there and getting able to see what the loop's about. You know, it's some people like the, the, go to different marinas and stay. Some people like to anchor out. And I tell people, you know, if you anchor out, avoid the marina cost, you can take that and put that towards the little extra dollars and put it towards a little bit better uh, tender. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, and uh, we do not have a tender, actually, believe it or not. Yeah, so your loop um, looks a little different. We don't anchor a lot. And we've kind of covered that pretty extensively mm -hmm. here on the podcast and why that is. Um, and, and some of the areas that are kind of most famous for being out in the dink and exploring on the loop are Canada, which we knew we had a limited time that we could oh, stay yeah. in Canada. Um, that, you know, game changer, if we were to anchor more or if we had a pet that was not a bird that needed to get <laughs> ashore, um, no. you know, we would certainly absolutely then need one. Sure. So, and, and we have had that debate. Trust me, <laughs> I am newer to this boat and, you know, the boat was around the loop a time and a half before I joined the boat. And we've had the discussion of should we yeah. add a tender um, and have thought about it. So for myself or for anyone else who is considering um, either upgrading the tender, if they bought a looper boat that had one that doesn't fit their needs or or reoutfitting mm -hmm. for whatever reason, you know, you kind of talked about um, in your world, in the high field world, the 310 with a, I think you said a 20 horsepower motor. Mm -hmm. If you can, like, what's kind of the typical price for something like oh, that? Oh, sure. Price range. Uh, they, they vary. So we were talking about the roll-up style. You're looking at 3000 to 5000 depending on that material. Uh, something like the classic style um, with the FCT console and the, the, the 20 horsepower, that's roughly thirteen to 15000 And mm -hmm. then the kind of the higher end is the twenty to twenty five on, like, mm -hmm. the... the the sport models that are uh you know with higher horsepower things like that but i would say 13 to 15 is kind of that sweet spot and 
all that depends on you know the different options you get on it, uh, different materials, things like that. Yeah, and that's that's really helpful for those who yeah. are planning and budgeting for the Great Loop. So I appreciate you sharing that. Let's take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, I just want to see if you have any other thoughts on, you know, um, any other points about the construction of tenders that people sure. should consider and also how you select what that right motor might be for you and, and a couple of other points. So um, we'll dive back into that when we come back. We'll be back awesome. in a moment. Our friends at DocMate offer the world's most advanced, affordable, and safest wireless remote control system for your boat's engines, pods, thrusters, anchor, and horn. Once you activate the DockMate remote control with a simple push of a button, you are able to leave the helm where visibility is oftentimes limited and then confidently and safely control your boat's movement from anywhere aboard. The result is less stress and a safer experience during typical docking maneuvers, particularly in tight marina slips and when navigating through locks where potential damage might only be a matter of feet or just inches away. Learn more at DockMate.us. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Dustin Kidd. He is a gold looper, as well as the owner of Bourbon City Yacht Tenders, which is an AGLCA sponsor. And Dustin is kind of filling us in on all the things we should consider if we are planning an upgrade to the dinghy or tender that comes with your boat or, or perhaps doesn't come with one. Um, one thing, Dustin, that, I, that you know, those who are out there shopping for looping boats know is that the boat market is a little bit strained right now. And post-COVID, the supply chain on new boats has been a really big issue. Has that affected tenders as well as bigger boats? Yes, it's through the whole field. And yes, uh, we're starting to work through that now. Um, we actually have inventory now. I mean, before we were pre-ordering, I was I was really encouraging a lot of people to go ahead and pre-order. I mean, I have one gentleman that is actually pre-ordered. I mean, it was a year and a half ago, mm -hmm. he's still waiting for his boat, his loop boat to be built and they keep pushing the production date out. But for us, you know, we just kind of locked that price in, which was kind of, we, we honored that, uh, especially as prices go up, limitations of things. So that's one of the things that we honored and what we did is we kind of locked people in and said, hey, do a deposit now, we'll honor this price now. And even if it goes up, we'll stay with that. Uh, so, but it's getting better. I actually have boats to sell, which is nice. Before it was, I would sell everything pre-sold. And then when it came in, we'd build them and ship them back out to everybody. And I was delivering all over. Uh, so, but the industry is getting better. It seems like there's one or two things that are random. It's like, hey, this part was on back order for something like AIS. I don't know if anybody's looking for AIS. That's been on back order for like months. And I think they're just, so it's little things like that that are slowly hard to predict, but yeah. right now I think most of the dealers have boats and motors. But it sounds like mostly good news, right? So if somebody yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's has not been at or, you know, somebody's, yeah, and, or if somebody's out on the loop right now and has, you know, hit Florida and is not planning on moving a whole lot on the winter and is realizing the dinghy is the best way to explore nearby rather yes. than moving the big boat. So if somebody's looking for a dinghy right now, it is possible to get one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, but great tip for those who are not needing one right now, but maybe planning ahead that they can lock in some pricing mm -hmm. because for most things, pricing does not seem to be going anywhere but up. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's that's great that uh, you will lock those in for them. We talked a little bit in the first segment about the different types of um, you know construction for mm -hmm. tenders. Anything to add to that? Um, you know, things I, I to look for, to... different options? <clears throat> Absolutely. I wanted to dive into the, the material and the fabric of yeah. the tunes uh, a little bit more. There's two different types. It's PVC, Mylar, and then uh, your Hypalon. 
Um, typically, Orca is one of the distributors, but uh, so PVC and Orca and Hypalon are the two main uh, materials. And this is where I kind of talk to people on what their loop scenario looks like. And because I have a lot of people that they're like, well, we're going to do the loop and sell our boat. Well, okay. There is a price difference on the two, um, depending on the boats, about a $2,000 difference. Uh, so PVC is a great material. Um, it's, uh, it's, but Hypalon is a synthetic material that's a little bit better when it, it holds up to UV protection and salt water. So if I talk to somebody like, hey, we're looping, we're going to, you know, I'm retiring out of Michigan, we're taking our boat, doing the loop, and we're going to continue to cruise the Bahamas and Florida forever. You may want to, to lean towards the Hypalon just because of that longevity. But, you know, we have some people like, hey, I'm up in Michigan freshwater. I'm going to loop and then I'm going to be back in Michigan. And that's where we're going to play around with our tender from there on. They may want to lean towards that PVC. Just uh, And like I said, we have some people like, hey, I'm going to do the loop, sell the boat. I don't care. I'd rather take that extra money and put it towards something else that I may need down the road. Sure. And it's nice to have those yeah. options. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Another thing with, you know, multiple options that people are going to have to choose when they're out there shopping for a tender is the motor. So we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the use case that are you a, a solo, a couple, a family, and obviously uh -huh. that changes the weight parameters and the size yeah, of the dinghy most likely. Um, but, so, but talk to, talk to that, you know, what, so, what's yeah, typically when, when the comes, right size? Yeah. When it comes to the, uh, Tenders, weight is everything, you know, your gear, your person, you know, the number of people you have on it. And depending on what I always say is, well, and I can only speak for high field because high field is an aluminum structure, which is really what attracted us to that, uh, that boat is because it's durable, but lightweight. So we always say you can do more with less. I've talked to a lot of people that have had tenders in the past that were maybe fiberglass are a little bit heavier and they're like, oh, I need a 30, 40 horsepower. I'm like, okay, well, let's rethink that. This boat's a quarter of the weight. So you may be able to get away with less motor. So, but the uh, kind of sweet spot, like if you're going to do a tiller mount, a 9.9 .9 or a 15 is manageable. It's where you sometimes where you have to take it off the boat and put, you know, rack it uh, is manageable, especially that 9.9. .9. Um, and then the 20 horsepower, the 25, if it's a family of four, I usually say about that 25 horsepower. Um, and then of course, you know, obviously going into the thirties and higher, but then of course you're also looking at restrictions of the boat. They can only handle so much horsepower. So the 10 foot, the 11 foot for the high fields, the max horsepower on the, the 340 is, uh, 25 horsepower. But if you go to the 360, it's 30 horsepower. So you know, it just depends on that scenario. Um, I've talked to a lot of people that said, hey, I want the highest horsepower on this boat. Well, well what's your loop look like? Well, it's just me and my wife, okay? 90% of the time, okay, you might be able to get away with a 25 or 20. And of course, like everything, there's that budget, more horsepower, more dollars. So yeah. it just depends on what you're comfortable with. Yeah, and that was actually my next question is, uh, you know, can you translate that horsepower to dollars at all? What's the difference in the price between a, a 20 horsepower engine and a 25? Um, you're looking about, what do we say? It's about uh, $100 per horsepower, maybe. So $500 okay. difference is so a good not rough hugely significant. Yeah, it's, so not, it's not a lot. You know, three $500 would be a good ballpark. Yeah, so if you want a little bit of a, a go yeah. fast, faster <laughs> yeah. motor, it's, it's not going to cost you significantly. Uh, no, no, for that no, extra no. benefit. 
Um, a question we get a lot, and, and I know you get this question too, Dustin. Can you tow your dinghy on the loop? Can you? Yes. Would I? I'm looking back at my loop and all the different scenarios where there was just issues with, you know, coming into a marina that had high current or a lot of traffic. Would that be an issue? I don't know. Can you? Yes, absolutely. You know, they're rated to be hooked on the front and towed. I mean, they have the, the, the ability to it. It would be more of, can you? I don't know. That's, I guess that's based on skill and how comfortable you are with uh, towing something and, you know, driving a larger boat. Yeah, so many of those questions, regardless if we're talking about tenders, if we're talking about towing the tender, just loop questions in general. So much yeah. has to do with personal preference and your own comfort level and skill level. But, you know, I think towing a tender, the, the most challenging places would really be anywhere you're going through locks. Um, and actually, from what I understand on uh, the Canadian waterways, um, the Trent Severin, they will charge you for the second boat, oh, the tender, if you're towing it versus yeah. if you're actually have it, you know, aboard with you. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, in the bigger U.S. locks, it, it would be a concern to me. You know, in, in the river system, we tow ours around here a lot. And we yeah. get to the locks. It's not, it's not that big an issue because there's a lot of wide open space, a lot of, you know, so it's, I would say the smaller locks and the smaller intricate marinas i would say that that might be an issue but based on skill yeah and, and the difference in size of the the u.s corps of engineer locks here on the river system yes. huge scale compared to what you're seeing on the trent severin so and it, you know who knows perhaps they charge you in canada for that second boat because they're trying to discourage you from throwing it through <laughs> i really don't know um but so yeah it certainly can be done um we don't see a whole lot of loopers out there towing their dinghies for whatever reason um yeah, you know, we just we just don't see it a lot. But um, another thing we see on a, a more frequently than we would hope is dinghies that seem to go missing. And most of the time, the owner initially thinks that their dinghy has been stolen. And following up on that, most of the time, it has simply broken free from how they secured it to their boat. If they have you know have a davit system, but they're using it frequently and are stationary at an anchorage, so rather than lift it out of the water, they of course just you know tie it to the boat. For overnight and that seems to be when this phenomenon occurs <laughs> um and the dinghy goes I, missing. yeah it, it's pretty common so it's you know, guilty. We, I, on our loop we were actually uh anchored out by the dome homes what is that uh in marco uh, uh, oh okay uh, yeah yeah mm -hmm. and we anchored and the next day i'm like where's the where's my dinghy and i just had like a small lead line on it and then it broke just from the constant wear and tear on it luckily it blew to shore and we could see it you know it was about a half mile away but Again, I was guilty of it. So you definitely want to make sure you have a good quality uh, uh, system to tie, whether it be rope or ratchet system. Um, I know a lot of people will buy the cheap Home Depot ratchets and use those. Well, when it comes to salt water, it will eat through those pretty quick. Uh, there are some manufacturers, but they're pretty expensive. You know, you're looking at tie downs to be three, four hundred dollars, but they're also stainless steel. They're uh, they're going to be not, they're not going to be susceptible to corrosion, things like that. So when I say secure, you definitely need to plan ahead and make sure your, your tender is secure. Yeah. And, and one of the things I think, um, yes, the true marine grade stainless is more expensive equipment. And again, that's the use case, yeah. you know, if you're 
planning on selling your boat when you're done, maybe you do go for the cheaper Home Depot ones, yeah. but check them. <laughs> if, you know, Always. you know, you may have to replace them a couple times over yeah, the course exactly. of the loop. And that still might be more cost effective than, than getting something that's true stainless steel. But um, yeah, it's, it's and, and occasionally it'll pop up somewhere, you know, on social media or in our forum and I'll see somebody's dinghy got stolen and I always go, and most of the times it has broken free and most of the times it is found which is also good news because obviously it's an expensive piece of equipment but you can Mm -hmm. save yourself all of that stress (laughs) um, by just making sure that what you're securing it with is not is well maintained and not showing signs of wear so um, and then you know the other thing that I think really leads to whether or not you have a good experience and use your your tender frequently or whether it just sits on the boat and is rarely used is whether or not you have an easy way to launch and retrieve that that's, equipment. So what are your thoughts on a Davit system or you know, how? what are some of the ways you've seen that that works best that makes it easy and therefore makes the tender very usable? You know, people call me all the time asking about Davits and uh, ding, or, uh, the different Davit systems and what's best. Mm-hmm. There's no magic answer. That's what I've kind of come up with. It, it, Different yards use different uh, manufacturers. There's a whole host of different types out there. Um, I would just say, do your research, find out what's best. I will say you want something that's going to be easy to deploy in and out. So, because um, you will, you want to use your tender. Because I mean, ours had the crane on the top, so we were launching it and we got pretty good at doing it. We could get it down, you know, she would go to the top and lift it and move it out and I would go down, catch it and unhook it and hook, you know, secure it. But we had a nice little routine. We could do it within, you know, 10 minutes. Uh, but I can see that would be kind of cumbersome to somebody that's not used to that. So they probably won't use their tender as much. Uh, you know, a lot of the stern mount, the uh, swim platform mounts are a little bit easier. And, and it comes down to, pro- we'll talk, say it again, it comes down to budget. I mean, the freedom lift where you sit on your remote or sit on your back deck with a cocktail on your hand and a remote and launch your tender, they're very pricey, but they're also very nice uh, yeah. versus something that's, you know, block and tackle where you're having to manually, you know, bring it up yourself. So it just kind of comes back to that budget aspect. Yep. And, and mentioning once again, and I'm Dustin, that you still are, but also when you did the loop, uh, kind of younger than your average looper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those of us are a little further along and, and you know, may not be real interested in a lot of work launched yeah. at Sender. So mm-hmm. all things to consider, um, as with most problems in life, the uh, price tag that goes along with the fix <laughs> is going to be something each person is going to have to decide whether or not they can tolerate um, mm-hmm. you know, but the good news is, you know, there are hopefully pretty reasonable well, options on up to the expensive options that automate the whole thing. And one thing I'll add is definitely, I think a lot of people think about tenders and Davids secondary when they're looking at their loop boat, cause that's a huge option. So, you know, we've set up, you know, we, I know loopers now that are, they bought the same boat as another boat. I put a, you know, sold a tender to that had a, like a manual uh, system versus like a hydraulic platform that was a huge upgrade for that boat I mean it's identical boat but the swim platform so just taking consideration just don't you know bring it to the forefront of your mind and say hey this boat actually has a pretty cool system and you know that might help out yeah no that that's some great advice and uh, post-covid uh, you know the market has been so crazy that if you have a particular boat model in mind and yeah. can find it and it's available um, looking at what David it has has become kind of secondary because there are so few boats on the market. 
Um, and yep. as that starts to change, uh, you're absolutely right that, you know, on, on an existing pre-owned boat that you're looking at, that will start to make a big difference, I think, to people. If they've got, you know, an option of two different main ship 430s, one yeah. that has a easier option for launching and retrieving that dinghy is, is going to start to stand out. So um, something to think about also if you're upgrading the Davit system, um, yes. that and if you, you know, even if you keep your boat after the loop, everyone eventually sells their boat for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. So it is something to consider when you're upgrading that equipment as well as when you're upgrading the tender in general. So um, Dustin, this has been a great discussion. Anything we left out that you want to cover before we wrap up? I think that's it. I mean, unless you have other questions, uh, you know, obviously I'm always open to uh, talking about the loop or things <laughs> in general. Uh, I actually had a gentleman call me the other day, second time he's called me, he bought a tender from somebody else and he was wanted questions on what this, this, he saw some things that I've done. He's like, Hey, you know, tell me about this or help me with this. And I kind of got into him. So I always enjoy talking to loopers. Like I said, it keeps me involved in the loop and helping out. And so this is, this is the fun part of my career now that I get to do <laughs> and I really enjoy it. So it's uh, something I like. Yeah. Well, we appreciate that. Dustin Kidd with Bourbon City Yacht Tenders. They are a high field dealer and they are an AGLCA sponsor. So Dustin, we appreciate you giving back and uh, we appreciate your sponsorship. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And to everyone who's listened or watched this week, thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm -hmm.